the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. And this is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDeal. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Manipal. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 143. I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Ed. And this is Stella. And we are bringing the latest comic news and comic book reviews from the weeks of August 17th through August 30th. We have a total of three books to cover and some news to go over, so let's get right into the news. The very first thing we have is on August 18th, the solicitations were released. Uh, starting off, let's start off with uh, graphic novels and trade advanced solicitations. There is a butt-ton of stuff coming out. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just going to kind of run through some of these. Um, most of these are collected editions of current ongoing series, including the first trade collections of uh, the weekly titles like Batman Eternal and the New 52 Future's End. Uh, but there is also some new solicitations for December, uh, focusing on some of the old titles pre-New 52, including Nightwing Volume 1, Bloodhaven. Um, so let's run through these. Uh, just the list. Uh, you got the Batman, the Jiro Kirawada Batmanga book number one trade paperback, the New 52 Futures End volume one trade paperback, Batman Eternal volume one trade paperback, which collects, which for some reason it's listed as a retro solicit, which means it may not actually come out on the date they're listing it as, uh, November 26th. Um, it's collecting Batman Eternal number one through 20. That's a lot of books. Um, it's gonna be. It's gonna cost thirty nine ninety nine. Be four hundred forty eight pages. That's insane. Mm-hmm. Um, Batgirl Volume Two, Wanted, Nightwing Volume Five, Setting Sun, Red Hood and the Outlaws Volume Five, The Big Picture, Batman Legends of the Dark Knight Volume Three, Nightwing Volume One, Bloodhaven, which collects not only the four issue miniseries leading into the Nightwing ongoing series from the 90s but also issues one through eight uh and then as well as superman batman volume two so those is what's coming out as far as trades this is this is uh obviously a, a ton of stuff but as we have mentioned i think we even mentioned this last month when we went over these this november and december tend to be a month where there's a ton of trades that come out because they're trying to pack the shelves with the stuff in preparation for the holidays, holiday shopping, things like that. Um, I noticed that the majority of all of these books are being released towards the beginning of December, so it's not like they're coming out at the end of the month. They're, you know, directly trying to make sure that these things are coming out for the holidays. Then getting into the actual solicits for November, um, a bunch of different stuff. Uh, first off, uh, we have October brings the continuation of all the current TBU ongoing titles, in- including the addition of the new ongoing title Gotham by Midnight. Batman number 36 will be part two of Snyder and Capullo's Endgame storyline, which is billed to be mysterious, too mysterious for a description. The Robin Rises <laughs> arc will continue in Batman Robin, leading up to the reveal of the new Robin in December, while Batman deals with the viruses and diseases in both Detective and Justice League in the same month. 
Uh, November's weekly titles will see Alfred working with Bane and the potential end of Wayne Enterprises in Batman Eternal, as well as the fight between Batman and Batman Beyond in the pages of the New 52 Future's End. The uh, November solicitations also include DC Comics Essential Batman Year One Special Edition Number One, another promotionally priced special for DC's continuing celebration of Batman's 75th anniversary, which will include part of the story arc that gave us what most consider to be the definitive Batman origin story. Um, in addition to that, uh, the only creator change that we noticed outside of the new title that you know we, we already talked about in the last episode, uh, the only creator change seems to be for Batman Superman. They are getting a new ongoing artist, is Ardian Saif, and he's going to be the artist specifically linked to it. And I, I get this odd suspicion that that has a lot to do with the fact that Greg Pak just cannot keep up with a monthly schedule. Yeah, I was about to say, that's gotta be, because, I mean, Batman Superman has been, is way off on publishing now, isn't it? I know yeah. I saw the one time the same solicitation for three or four months in a row. Oh yeah, yeah, and that issue actually just came out this month. 13 wow. was originally, uh, solicited as number 9, then 10, then 11, then 12, now it really comes out this month with number 13. Which is sad, because I like Pac's art, but it's obvious that he needs to be working on like four or five issue miniseries, or like original graphic novels, because he just can't, he can't stay on schedule. Yeah. It is, uh, you know, it, in some ways, the storytelling can be effective. We've seen this across the board with a lot of different arts, uh, a lot of different series, where the art, you know, someone will pop in for one issue, fill in, or they'll, or even in some cases, even more dramatic cases, we have artists like finish off the actual book, so they'll do like the last five pages of the book. And as far as tone goes, unless you've got the artists like matched up perfectly, it it does affect the story, and I think that a lot of times they don't really. They, they, I, I honestly, I believe that DC wants to take that into consideration, but I don't. It, it, in the occasions we've seen it, it really doesn't feel like they're you know planning it out as well as they could. You know, when you have an artist who is the ongoing artist and they can't finish, do you really need to get to the point where okay, we're going to call in this other person and they're going to do the last five pages of the issue? I don't know. It just doesn't. To me, it doesn't make it a, a lot of sense to do that. It makes more sense to just give, you know, to have those one-shot issues and have another artist fill in at that point. You know, we've seen that happen with Batman and Robin, and it works because it's not really affecting the overall story. You know, Patrick Gleason can keep up month to month, but you know, if he needs a month off, or even like for instance, Greg Capullo, if he needs a month off in Batman, you know, there's times where they put in these little one-shot issues and. I just wish they would do that across the board instead of, you know, having these artists pop in, you know, last minute. I totally agree. All right. The next bit of news we've got is really the last bit. On August 26th, there was a, a number of new promos that introduced Gotham Academy, uh, the Gotham Academy students. Um, among the characters revealed, which we already knew a lot of these if you've been paying attention to our Twitter feed, we've been tweeting off stuff from uh, Becky Cloonan and Brendan Fletcher and Carl Kirschel. Uh, Olive Silverlock uh, is, is basically one of the main characters. Kyle Mizuguchi? Maybe I'm saying that wrong. Uh, and then his, uh, his sister, Maps Mizuguchi. So those are three character promo images that were released. Uh, I guess, I, I don't know if it was actually officially through DC. It doesn't seem like it was because it all originated from, I believe, Becky Cloonan's uh, Tumblr page. 
But uh, nonetheless, Gotham Academy is coming out in October. Uh, they're trying to raise a lot more awareness specifically because pre-order date actually has already passed at this point. But they're trying to get a lot more interest in the series because not there isn't that much information that we really know about it other than the few interviews that they've done and things like that. So I think what they're trying to do is build a better awareness about the series, get people interested in even though it's not specifically a bat book. All right. And with that, that is actually all the news. Not that much news over the last couple of weeks. Um, now, we will be talking a lot about uh, basically the conclusion of Batman 21 when we get to that issue. And a lot of stuff kind of... Well, well let's just put it this way. We're going to have a discussion about the future of the bat books and Batman Endgame and Batman Eternal after we get done reviewing... Batman number 21. So with that, we're going to jump straight into our first book to review, and that book is Batman and Robin number 34. Batman and Robin number 34, Robin Rises, Ties That Bind. Writer Peter J. Tomasi, penciler Patrick Gleason, inker Mick Gray, and colorist John Kalitz. Batman gathers his family together for the first time since the Joker attacked. While that situation has been or had been caused because he kept something from them, that he found that card in the cave, from this point on, truth is going to be his his mandate, basically, and his mantra. And, you know, the Bat family is obviously skeptical about this, and they insist that they won't accept his sentiments or his apologies unless he is offering unconditional truth forever. And Bruce actually agrees, and they all remove their masks in a very touching moment, and they agree and consent to work together as a team. So that's gone. That's, well, you know, it's out of the way. And Bruce actually reveals his first secret, and it's a mother box. And obviously we know that this device opens a doorway to another world, uh, to Apocalypse. And he explains that he retrieved it from a parademon. And then he goes on to explain how Rachel Ghoul stole the, stole the bodies of Damien and Talia and took them to Nanda Parbat. And now Damien's sarcophagus is missing because it was stolen by Glorious Godfrey. And he then shows an image of of this new Hellbat version of the Bat suit, and he hopes that this is going to give him a fighting chance on Apocalypse. Uh, and but despite all of the stuff that we, I think, have said or I have thought over the past couple months, he doesn't want the other Bat members of the Bat family to come with him. So he's basically ordering them to stay on Earth. He won't risk their lives as he allowed Damien to risk his, and he is pretty forceful in demanding that they keep Gotham City safe in his absence, and especially if he should fail. So everyone goes on. They they somewhat tentatively agree to this. And then Batman admits uh, that he heard Dick Grayson sort of creeping around and heard his stomach growling, <laughs> which... I guess Dick Grayson's not busy enough with Spiral that he can just hop in the cave, and I don't even know how he knew there was a meeting going on, but we'll just ignore that. Uh, and, you know, Dick takes the opportunity to express his own feelings and even eat a PB&J sandwich. Um, he talks about, you know, how he feels that Damien's gone, and he even offers his help in the mission, even if the others aren't going to be helping. But Bruce actually has other plans, and he says that Dick needs to take up the mantle again, uh, just in case Bruce, and this is kind of 
nerve-wracking. Is Bruce not coming back? Just in case uh, he doesn't come back. Uh, but in the meantime, he actually asked Dick to use Spiral to initiate several distractions that will get the attention of four individuals in four different parts of the world. And these four people are Aquaman, Wonder Woman, Cyborg, and Shazam, so the JLA members. And they, as they're fighting, realize that the supervillains that they've been fighting are just holograms. And then at the Justice League satellite, Insulted Lex Luthor, he realizes that Batman felt the need to distract all these superpowered beings, but he didn't feel the need to distract Lex Luthor or Captain Cold. And Batman actually uses this ruse to get the satellite, get to the satellite and then steal the Hellbat suit. So Batman acquires the suit and he warns Luthor not to stop him, but Lex actually says that he's gonna help him. And he has read up about Darkseid and Apocalypse and he knows Batman's gonna do what he's gonna do, so he's not gonna stop him. He actually helps him out, he makes some adjustments to the suit's calibrations, but he warns that the suit is just dangerous to the wearer, more so to the, than the people that he's gonna be fighting, but Batman Obviously, being Batman, insists he's he's gonna figure stuff out on the fly, work out the kinks, and just go on his merry way. And realizing that Robin was Bat- Bruce Wayne's son, Lex comments that Bruce is going to hell to yank on the devil's tail. And Batman asks what Lex would do to bring back someone he loved. And I was thinking to myself, I wonder who that would be. And Lex responds that he would do whatever it takes. Batman's sentiments exactly. So Batman activates the mother box and he is gone before the Justice League can arrive, even though Shazam apparently beat Wonder Woman there. But the horror of Apocalypse still looms ahead of him. And next up, five years later, Batman and Heretic in Future's End number one. A deep issue, I would say, but... um almost simplistic in the way it was laid out because they're really just two scenes, the one in the Batcave and then the one on the Justice League uh, satellite, obviously. And I just want to talk about these two scenes because I think they're related, uh, but I think there's a lot to sort of pull apart. So what did you think about the beginning scene between, you know, just that conversation between the Bat family that they're finally coming together. He admits his faults, but in the end, he doesn't want he doesn't want their help, and he sends them out. And he even tells Dick, you know, it's your responsibility to to be Batman if I don't come back. So lots of stuff. But what overall did you think about that scene? Did you think it was well done? You know, I think it was actually done pretty well. I mean, mm-hmm. it was nice to see the Bat family kind of come together after you know outside of you know. So now, you know, again, we're getting, we're being told again, the reason why everybody's so upset is because Joker could have possibly known their secret <laughs> identities. Yeah. That's the reason why everybody was so upset because Bruce never said anything because he didn't know for sure if, if Joker was playing him or not. The, okay, that's fine. You know, the fact that they're going to get over it, that's fine. I think the only, the, I mean, the biggest glaring issue here, and they even, I mean, in some ways they even deal with it without actually dealing with it, is the fact that Bruce is saying, I'm going to tell you the truth from now on. Everything's going to be the truth. We're going to be completely honest with each other, but I'm not going to tell you about Dick Grayson. That seems to me <laughs> like this glaring thing where it's like the, he's already yeah, building, he's already building this, you know, this this form of trust on top of a lie, which I think could bite him in the rear end if, for mm-hmm. example, he didn't come back from Apocalypse and Dick did have to take over as Batman. Then they would all resent him and he'd be dead. So that could be a bad thing. Um, but that being said, I think the fact that Bruce doesn't want to take them with him, it makes sense. 
I mean, this whole story is about the guilt he feels about Damien dying and, you know, the grief he's he's strucken with when, you know, trying to deal with the death of Damien. And now he's hell-bent on resurrecting Damien. And this is all based off of the fact that he told Damien not to go. Damien went on his own and helped, and he got himself killed. He doesn't want them doing the same thing. He doesn't want anybody else to die for this, especially when, it, you know, it's basically Bruce's, Bruce is like doing this to redeem himself, even though it was Damien's choice to help. He is putting his foot down and saying to the other Bat family members, no, this, you're not helping me. I'm on my own with this. So I think it's interesting. I do, okay, here's the thing. Uh, if you read Grayson, it doesn't seem like Dick Grayson has a whole lot of time just to get away from Spiral so that he can be hanging out in the, uh, you know, the, the, the rafters of the Batcave, or I guess, you know, the caverns of the Batcave, whenever Bruce calls a Bat family meeting. So I find it weird that, you know, we, we are, we're seeing Dick there, even though in the pages of Grayson, it seems like he's always on missions and, you know, he's always occupied. Um, not to mention, if my, by my understanding, Spiral is, is under the assumption that Dick Grayson you know, is dead to everyone, including Batman. So it shouldn't matter. Mm. Um, so that's that's a big that's like a slight problem. But that, that just has to go with the cohesion of the of the different series, the different directions. You know, some some of these writers are doing certain things that maybe they're not necessarily working completely together. Now, this story I think works completely together with Snyder's story. Kind of wraps up the you know in my opinion the horrible ending of death of the family where everybody was just like piss off bruce mm-hmm. um but i think that it's handled well here i'm it's nice to see the family all coming together i hope we see this play out in other issues you know i'm assuming honestly it's hard to put this series in the same timeline of everything that's happening eternal because obviously there's much larger things at play in the pages of eternal rather than what we've been seeing here in in Batman and Robin, as far as you know, we Batman just can't disappear in the in the pages of Eternal to go to Apocalypse to try to resurrect Damien. Uh, so it's hard to say when this is taking place because is this taking place before Eternal? Is it taking place during Eternal? If it's taking place before Eternal, it makes perfect sense of why all the Bat Family members have actually been okay with taking orders from Batman since pretty much the very beginning of the series when he warns them all that Carmine Falcone's back. So I think that part of it's really good. Um, yeah. I mean, overall, I, I, I thought it was, I thought this was what we really needed. Honestly, we probably needed this a little earlier than a year later from, you know, the, or I guess it was, it's been over a year now since the end of death of the family. couple of things here. Um, one, I, I think the fact that uh, the family isn't going with him, Really is the only logical conclusion when you, when you realize that the only way he can go is with the Hellbat suit. So, unless he had a suit for each of them, I don't think they would have a lot of, be a lot of help on the mission. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that there's, there's a point of realism there. I think it is a nice touch when he says they need to stay by and, and protect Gotham because that actually rings as something that makes a lot of sense. You could see where Bruce would endanger his own life to save Damien. But he wouldn't endanger the future of Gotham to do so unless he felt it was in good hands. So I think that's actually a very in character uh, for the, at least the Batman that I like that he would make sure that Gotham was protected before he took care of, of even his own son. So I think that that is a good moment. But I think that something that, that Dustin touched on there really is where the scene kind of – not that it's not enjoyable or well-written because I, I really enjoy the issue. But 
we have this great scene like, all right, we're all no more lies, truth forever, let's take off our mask. It's cool until you realize the fact that, that they that they then reinforce a mere couple pages later that he's still not telling that Dick Grayson is dead, you know? Yeah. And for me, that's where the whole thing, like, because sooner or later, either it's when he dies and Dick takes over as Batman, which would kind of support some people's theories on who Batman is at certain parts of Batman Eternal, you know, um, or the fact that eventually he, they're just going to find out that Dick Grayson isn't dead. At some point, it's almost going to seem like more of a betrayal, I think, where, where I think you could this, – this, this event here, which is supposed to be heartwarming, could actually end up as the biggest splintering of the Bat family that we've seen more than Death of the Family because – if he comes to them and promises that he's not going to lie to them anymore, that it was a one-time deal, that it'll never happen again, and they find out the whole time, which they will at some point somehow, that Dick Grayson is still alive and he didn't bother to tell them, I think this could actually be the moment where we have a, a bigger splintering of the family. So, um, although I like the idea of the family not being splintered, I think that like I was when I turned the page a couple times, I was like, okay, now he's going to tell him that Dick's not dead, you know. Uh, well, then I thought, well, maybe they'll just ignore that part, and then they showed Dick being there. So as much as I, I liked the way the scene was – and I think this is a good thing. I, I'm, it's not a criticism. The scene was, was, was drawn in such a realistic way to me that you really felt like this was a great moment, but it had a really big piece of baggage hanging around its neck. You know, so, But that's a, that's a great thing about a good story. It, it's not always you know rainbows and smiles. So it, I think it was a great scene, but I do think we're going to have to have a serious fallout from this down the road. Yeah, and I think um, you know this one that splintering I think would like would make more sense I think than what we had seen with the Joker because I understood that that was the reasoning they were giving but in my mind it didn't make a lot of sense that the entire family would sort of dissolve over this over this fact that there's a card and and you know everything like their secret identities could be known and he kept that a secret. I feel like they would have been mad, but not mad enough to sort of separate themselves. But this is more of a betrayal because he did just say it's truth from here on out. And, and you know what? To be honest, I completely forgot about Dick Grayson uh, until he popped into the actual issue. Um, and so for a reader, I almost felt betrayed at that moment. Because you have this core family, I guess you can say, I, I was still kind of weirded out that Jason Todd is there, but you have this family there, and they're getting along really well, they leave, and then Dick Grayson pops in, and I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about him. Um, and, and that is pretty, that is pretty terrible, and obviously to, to lose one family member, Damien, and then to, to lose another has already been, I think, a shock to their system, and just to keep it inside and, and not tell anyone. And, and I've had that problem day one since we found out that Batman's the only one that knows that Dick is alive. I've had that problem from the beginning. So this is just yeah, compounded upon the fact. Uh, overall though, I did like the scene. You know, I like how it wasn't an easy um, get together. It, it was tough and, and they went through a lot of stuff and, and I thought that that was a realistic you know, apologizing and, and just going through that that forgiving moment and I loved when they removed their masks because it really just sort of 
you know, they shedded their, they shed their clothing and, and, and they were who they really were. And, and I thought, you know, that's the epitome of family. Uh, I get what you're saying, Ed, about it being realistic that, you know, they don't all have hellbat suits, so they can't go to apocalypse. But I guess just in my heart, I feel like if they were really back to being a bat family, then they would really fight his orders and, you know, they would wait for him to go and then somehow help him out from behind the scenes. So I just wish they could have fought a little bit more and really just demanded to uh to help him but i guess in the end they um they realized what they needed to do and you know the funny thing is if batman doesn't come back for whatever reason because i have you know i've already put a lot of stake in the in the fact that i believe dick grayson is batman and in the very end of eternal yeah dick grayson is batman um then that's when they're going to find out and and i think that'll be bad but I guess we'll see what happens. Uh, but I, I did like that scene overall. Uh, so my next one is the scene with Lex Luthor, uh, because I think a lot of, a lot of stuff went on in that discussion. And I mean, Lex deciding to help him kind of almost commiserating with him, even though I was just trying to think like who, who in the world did Lex lose uh, in the New 52? I'm sorry we don't have a Superman person on here. I think that would be great to hear. But, you know, who did he lose that he would he would be so beaten up and, and understand what Batman is going through and, and just that interaction between the the two of them? And what did you think also about using Spiral's means, I think it goes together, to distract the other JLL me- JLA members. I almost felt a little Tower of Babel-esque just because, you know, he was using means to to get rid of the other Justice Leaguers before going up. But yeah, that, that second scene, what do you think about that? Okay, so using Spiral it makes sense, you know, uh, that's, you know, Dick's contribution. Uh-huh. I think it's fine. I think it's interesting that somehow they all figured out at the same time. I also find it a little odd where when Bruce tells Dick, listen, I need you to do this. I want these people at four different areas around the world. And somehow those people all just go to that specific area because it's it just happens to be one of their villains. That to me, it just seems a little much of a coincidence. That being said, getting over to the Lex Luthor stuff, you know, I don't know that he's actually lost anybody since the beginning of the New 52. Not that I know this for a fact because I'm, you know, up to date with everything happening in the Superman universe. But I, I, the way, at least the way I read it was Lex was saying he understands where Bruce is coming from. If he was in that situation, he would do the exact same thing. And in some ways, I feel like he's actually, like, he's trying to really make Bruce realize that he is similar to Bruce. You know, the fact that he makes the comment about, well, we're just rich boys who dress up, you know, are fighting alongside these guys with actual Mm -hmm. powers. You know, he's trying to make himself have things in common with Bruce so Bruce can relate to him so that maybe... Maybe Lex can like, and I don't know. It's it's hard to tell because you know, honestly, outside of the interaction with Lex Luthor in this book, we really haven't seen Batman interacting with Lex Luthor in, in the Batman universe specifically outside of you know the Justice League books and things like that. So if you're just reading the Bat books, it's hard to know for sure if if the whole idea of Lex trying to get close to Bruce is so that he can you know you know screw Bruce over or not. But the fact that Lex already knows his, his secret identity. I don't really think it matters. He already has the one, you know, the one key that could unlock everything if he really wanted to. So I think 
Lex is just trying to like build this rapport with Bruce. That's that's what it comes across as, you know, him saying, "Listen, I would do the same thing if it was somebody that I loved." You know, I completely understand. I would love to help you. You know, I'm all for it, and it makes sense. Yeah, I don't have um, and I mean, I, I kind of have the same reservation that that I think everyone probably shares that Spiral comes across as the uh, super duper top secret spy organization here. Um, maybe a little stretch, but if they want to write the scene and they want to wrap it up in a couple pages, there's probably not a, a more efficient way to do it. So kind of like Dustin's feeling, I can live with it. Um, again, I, I don't, you know, I don't know of anything in the new 52 directly. I know that Lex Luthor was involved pretty heavily with the events in forever evil, uh, where there was a lot of a loss of life in general in Metropolis. So maybe that's kind of his, his, uh, his general sentiments there. Um, but, you know, I, I do think it's interesting that they focus on Lex and not, not Captain Cold. Um, but if you're reading Justice League right now, like Dustin said, this the, the cat's out of the bag. If, if Lex wants to, to, you know, give out his identity, he can. So um, mm-hmm. I, I think that's the biggest thing that we kind of struggle with here is that we don't identify, at least I don't, and it sounds like Dustin too, with, with enough of, of Lex's backstory to make a, a true connection here, uh, even, you know, pre-New 52. But uh, I think that it's kind of a, it's easy enough for me to accept that that Lex is a, a decent, maybe the wrong word, not the word I'm looking for, but a, a decent enough of a person that even he can understand that a father wants to get his son back. So I can, yeah. I can live with it. Yeah, yeah. It's just a different character, I think, than than we feel like we know and have seen in the past. And it was jarring for me to to see him refer to Batman as Bruce. It was just very, it was very strange. But uh, you, you always see these lines between a villain and a hero, you know, always saying, we're not so different, you and I. And so it's weird to step back from that and see Lex more on the side of good and, you know, compare himself to Batman. Um, and, you know, in this philanthropist sort of way and, and that he is capable of loving someone. So it's weird because through Bruce's lens, you get to see Lex in a completely different light and it almost brings your perception of him up a little bit more. But, uh, yeah, it, it was just an interesting interaction, I feel, and something that perhaps there would be no other time and no other book to put that sort of thing in except for right here and right now. And uh, it was just, I was so thrown off. I thought he was going to fight him because he said, you know, I'm insulted that uh, me and Captain Cold uh, weren't deemed good enough <laughs> to distract. And then he says, you know, I'm not here to stop you. I'm going to help you. And then he actually works with the uh, the suit. I wonder, however, if he did something with the suit, not to make it like bust or anything, but I wonder if there's anything for the the league to keep track of Batman, and maybe they'll come in at the last minute or something. But yeah, well, just they, a, well, they did point out that Cyborg put a tracker on, but then yeah, Lex said originally, that he took it off. He, he yeah, took it off. yeah. So I wonder if yeah, Lex did something else with it. But yeah, um, I I mean, overall, I I just thought it was I thought it was a really good issue, but the undertones of it throughout i mean every little piece i felt it was really like prepare yourselves i may not come back i may not come back i may not come back and and i feel like these are not empty threats but i also wonder like what would the new 52 be like without bruce wayne and i wonder if that's possible um have we talked about this yet is this a valid um question i can offer as like my last point 
I mean, do you think it's possible? Well, just do you think could the new Fifty Two survive without Bruce Wayne as Batman? And do you think they'll do that? Because I just felt like there was this threat throughout this entire issue potentially that you know he's preparing everything. Like his last will and testament is sort of served out to all his Bat family members. I mean, in a way, it does feel like it's foreshadowing something. But you know, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm trying to think and go back. And, you know, it's all about, you know, connecting the dots and making the timeline work. And it really feels like the Bat books of all the books out there seem to try to at least connect the dots better than most of the other stuff from the DC Universe. Um, probably because there's just so much. Now, it doesn't always happen, but I feel like, you know, when I'm, when we're sitting here thinking, you know, you're saying your thought about, you know, maybe, you know, Dick Grayson, you believe is the, the is Batman in Eternal. I'm trying to figure out how that would actually work, if it would actually work, if there's been any point in the last 21 issues where someone actually says Bruce and not Dick, or, you know, instead of Batman. And it's hard to actually think of anything like that. So, I mean, I guess it's entirely possible that something could happen, that this all is taking place before, but... The only, the only glaring thing I, I'm seeing a problem with is the fact that we've been told that Tomasi has said, or Tomasi has said that we will have a new Robin for yeah. Batman at the mm-hmm. end of this story. And if this is taking place before Eternal, instead of, you know, taking place during or after, or this is just a separate story or something, there's that glaring thing of, okay, well, how come we haven't seen this new Robin in the pages of Eternal if this is taking place before? If this is taking place during, like, there's, it's, it's almost impossible to try to explain that with everything that's happening in Eternal right now. Um, I don't think this is taking place after Eternal by any means because of everything that's happening in Eternal and changing things. So it's very difficult because they've done a really good job about making sure they're, they're separate to the point. You know, we see a lot of crossover with the stuff happening in the DC universe, but not so much crossover with the stuff that's happening in, in the Batman universe. So I think that's really interesting. And I'm wondering, you know, is that on purpose? I don't know. But as far as is this foreshadowing him him dying, I don't think it is necessarily because I don't really think he's going to. Do I believe the DC universe could survive without Bruce Wayne's Batman? We've seen it before. I think it could happen. Mm-hmm. I think it would honestly be probably too early to do it since it has only been about uh, four years since Battle for the Cowl. So I think it would be a, probably a little too early, or I think it's five years. Five years because I think it was 2009. Um I think it's probably a little too early to do something like that, but it would be the craziest plot twist you could you could do. I mean, we've already yeah. revealed, you know, the possibly the big bad behind everything in Eternal in issue twenty one. So yeah. who knows? Maybe the big reveal at the end of Eternal is that hey, it's not Batman; it's the Grayson all this entire time, and that would be that would throw a lot of people off. But I think it could entirely be okay for Batman or not, or you know, Bruce Wayne not to be Batman and everything continue on. I think it, it would work fine. We've seen it happen before. And honestly, if you go 52 issues and then reveal that it's not Bruce Wayne, then I don't think anybody's really going to care because they're going to be like, I thought it was Bruce Wayne all along. I don't, I, I think this is, this is my take on it. I think that if this does happen, I think that Batman and Robin happens some point after where we are in Eternal now. Because we've had some Bruce Wayne interaction, and remember when Jim Corrigan showed up at, Bruce, at Wayne Manor, you know, to talk to Bruce before he went to Arkham with Batwing. Um, so I think, and I do feel like 
without saying anything about Batman Eternal, I feel like we just reached uh, a semi-stopping point for the first in which we found out about the uh, the phone book size trade that's coming out, which is, you know, yeah. which is, you know, that this isn't any point. So I, I do think that this, if we were going to kind of go into the Bruce Wayne death or missing an action, maybe not even dead, I mean, this has, has shades of Final Crisis, which is Bruce goes to Apocalypse and doesn't come back mm, for a while. Yeah. You know? Uh, so I could, I could see that something like that where we have a thing in Eternal where all of a sudden he's gone and Dick comes in. And I think that would help kind of steady the ship for a while and would very much lead into the stopping point there. But I don't know if that's going to happen, but I will say this. I think it's deliberately being wrote. Stella, you brought up the will and bringing the Bat family together and all that. I think that Tomasi is purposely making us think that although he may not kill him, he's making us think that he's at least actually thinking about it. Because um, it's it is setting up as this could be the end of the road story. I don't think it is. I think it, if anything more likely, it'd be the final crisis. Hopefully, they wouldn't do a direct lost in time thing, you know. But him and Damian lost in another dimension or, or, or whatever. Um, but I think Tomasi wants us to feel like he could kill him, and, and I think he's succeeding in that. Mm-hmm. All right. So Batman and Robin number thirty-four. I'm going to give this one a total of four out of five batterings. Four out of five batterings. I will <laughs> triple that and say four out of five batterings. And over on the website, Corbin also gave it four out of five. So that's going to give Batman and Robin number 34 a total of four out of five batterings. That was an easy mathematical. Easy math, man. Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's move into our next book, Batman Eternal number 20. Eternal number 20, written by Tim Seeley, art by Manuel Simone. Uh, the issue starts off with Dr. Falsario running through the jungle of Rio de Janeiro, and Batgirl's kind of chasing him down. He, She's telling him, listen, James Gordon's one of the greatest men in Gotham City's ever known, and there's no one on Earth that you can hide. Uh, we then see Killer Croc going after the Ten-Eyed Man. That's right, it's the Ten-Eyed Man. I was unaware that it was the Ten-Eyed Man at the end of the last issue, but it's the Ten-Eyed Man, and he's calling some sort of portal and trying to sacrifice the the little girl that Killer Croc, Batman, and, and uh, Jason Barr are trying to save. The portal opens, and they basically steal the girl, and the portal causes a giant, I guess, earthquake underground, and everything starts collapsing. Um, they start, they, they escape somehow. It appears that Ten-Eyed Man is, is possibly dead or he's going to be smushed by, uh, the, the debris that's falling from the sky. Uh, at Blackgate Penitentiary, we have, uh, Maggie Sawyer talking with one of the inmates saying that they want, uh, Carmine Falcone so that they can take care of him and, uh, as long as they get him, uh, they won't hurt any of the guards. Uh, the warden, uh, Zarbotos is talking about, is talking to Penguin and saying, uh, listen, as soon as my friends come, um, the, you know, you'll need to make yourself comfortable because it's all going to be over once they come. Um, after they explain that, uh, they're, after she calls Harvey Bullock and says, listen, we're just trying to wait on, uh, Gordon because he's, you know, making his, you know, hero stand to save the guards, we see someone, um, presumably shaving, and we see that uh, it turns out that the person who has been rooming with James Gordon in his cell, well, I, I'll I'll just say he has a lion tattoo on his che- on his chest. He's uh, shaving himself, putting in a pair of dentures, and uh, we then see Gordon running through Blackgate, taking out a number of the inmates. 
Um, Gordon, who has for some reason lost his shirt, um, is is running at and taking out a number of these men. Back in the jungle, we have Batgirl trying to take out Dr. Falserio, and uh, as she's about to, oh, wait, he's dead. And there is a sword stuck in the tree, and she has no idea who did this. Um, back in the sewers, we have Batman, Jason Bard, and Killer Croc escaping. Um, as soon as uh, Batman and Killer Croc come to terms that they've they've uh, you know done what they wanted to do, Jason Bard pulls out his gun and says, "Waylon Jones, you're under arrest for the the suspected murder of the three Gotham police officers. You're going to prison." Um, we then see. Um, I'll just skip forward to, to finish off the sewer story. Um, we then see Killer Croc saying, nope, that's not happening. Those guys that I killed, uh, yeah, I killed them. I have no problem killing them. They're, they were all dirty bastards, and they deserve to die. Um, Bard says, you know, this is my town. You're going to have to face the justice, and they'll judge you and figure out what's, what's, what's going to happen to you. He says, no one's going to judge me. Uh, he says uh, to the little girl, go to the bat. And then he smashes the wall, and he there's now a pile of debris between Killer Croc and uh, Batman with Bard and the girl. Uh, back at Blackgate Penitentiary, Gordon is continuing to take out a number of men. Right as he gets tased, uh, he gets his face kicked in by one of the inmates. And right as he it looks like everything's about to come to end, suddenly something starts slashing everybody and, and uh, basically killing everybody. And as it turns out, the person doing it is Rex Calabrese, the lion. Mm-hmm. Um who, in fact, is what is, I guess, and was uh, Gordon's roommate, bunkmate, in prison. Uh, we then see, later on, SWAT team coming in. The I guess the takeover from the inmates uh, is now over. Gordon is being treated, um, and Zabrotos is saying, listen, you know, I, I might not like you, but you did a good thing here today. Um, and then Gordon wants to talk to Rex Calabrese to find out why exactly he put himself out there. He's been hiding in prison this entire time, but he didn't want anybody to know he was there. So he wants to know why he, why he revealed himself. And he basically says this, um, it ain't about you. See, my daughter grew up without a dad. Didn't want it to happen to someone else. Didn't want it to happen to your Barbara. So back in Brazil, we see the factory that all the figures were being made being shut down. Batwoman and Batgirl have gotten a bunch of, or Batwoman has gotten all of the blueprints and the plans for everything, basically proving that her father is is uh, innocent. Jason Todd and Batgirl uh, embracing a hug, and back at Gotham City, uh, we see Batman saying, "Listen, you, uh, I, I still don't trust Bard." Um, then we see Spoiler uh, basically typing online at a, a internet cafe or, a, I guess, a coffee house. And she's talking about how she has tried to put out the word that all of this bad stuff is happening. But nobody really seems to be caring. So she's going to take it upon herself to do to do it on her own. Next up, Nowhere is Safe. All right. So Eternal number 20. A bunch of stuff is going on. Um, first thing I want to talk about is that well we don't really need to talk about brazil batgirl batwoman and red hood wrapping this up because realistically there's not a whole lot to talk about uh just real quick question about it 
who do you think was the person who killed Dr. Falsario, who left the sword in the tree? I just kind of assumed it was a anonymous-type henchman person. I really hadn't – and it may become the fact that I read 20 and 21 back-to-back. Um, I did not put a whole lot of thought into the sword, to be totally honest with you. So I don't really have a good grasp. I just assumed it was kind of a, a henchman-type deal. Yeah. Um I, I, it's got, I, I feel like it's gotta be a, a higher up and someone who obviously can benefit from potentially keeping, uh, James Gordon still in jail. Um, I mean, I look at that sword and I feel like Arabian, you know, and I wonder, does Rachel Ghoul have anything to do with this? But I feel like they're gonna keep him out of Eternal, cause we're, I mean, we already have enough big bads in there, we don't need another one. Um, is the hand, is that still, I mean, could it be anything related to the hand? And, I mean, we haven't really talked about them too much. I think they were mentioned maybe in the next issue, but, um, maybe something from that. But I guess it could be our, our next mystery. So, I mean, I don't think it's that big of a mystery one way or the other. One of the things I've seen online was people were saying that it could be Lady Shiva's sword. Mm. Um, and playing off of who she has been within the New 52, the fact that she is basically a True. mercenary for hire, it makes sense that that's a possibility. Um, doesn't really seem like he would be the type of person that she would need, you know, that's, that a bounty would be taken out on him. Um She'd also seem to, whoever it is would have to be watching him to know what's happening, to know that he could, you know, reveal everything. Um, and that, and so who knows? I just wanted to throw that out there because that was a, a mystery I thought of. Uh, the other thing that, uh, I wanted to talk about was, uh, again, there's not a lot to talk about with Killer Croc, Gordon, or, uh, Bard and Batman. Um, Bard pulls his gun on Killer Croc at the end. Could have saw that coming from like a mile away. Yeah. The foreshadowing of Bard messing with the flak vests in the previous issues. Um, I guess the to me, I think it's interesting because that story that actually referencing, if I remember correctly, the Killer Croc Villains Month issue where he he takes out those those uh, those bad cops that are coming in the sewer. I could be wrong, but I, I feel like that it happened sometime last month or last year with Villains Month where that's where those cops were from. I can't remember for sure because it has been a while. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that's where it was. I do think it's interesting that Batman had no problem letting Killer Croc go up until you know Bard wanted to pull his gun. So I also find it interesting that for some reason because of that, Batman at the end is saying to Alfred, you know, I still don't trust Bard. So I, I don't know if that has something to do with it. Maybe Batman was thinking, why does Bard want to take out Killer Croc so badly? You know, I don't know. It just didn't seem – that, that interaction seemed off. Um, to me, the biggest thing here is Rex Calabrese. Um, that's the real thing that I want to talk about, the fact that he reveals himself and that specific line where he says that he helped Gordon because he didn't want Gordon's daughter to, you know – grow up, I guess, grow older, I guess, without a father, because his daughter didn't wasn't able to grow with a father. Now, we've been told um, th- there's a solicitation for Catwoman in October that says that now that she's the kingpin of Gotham, she's, you know, taking over the family business. So do you believe that Catwoman could possibly be Rex Calabrese's daughter? Hmm. Well, I pose it. Um, I mean, it's not like 
for the you know in Rome continuity anymore. Um, I think that would actually make a little bit of sense. Uh, having the underworld background and, and being her, actually, I think that uh, that makes as much much sense as anything I thought of. So yeah, yeah. I, I can I can go with that. And it gives. I mean, remember that that letter that she found. I think that was an eternal that we were reading at the grave, um, and just you know, kind of saying that you know I'm sorry I can't be there with you. And I feel like he's been almost through her entire history, and there would be a reason why he would dislike Carmine Falcone so much. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think that very interesting, especially the lion too. I mean, that's a good connection. Um, between the two of them, yeah, that would be great. That's a that's a good thought, Dustin. I, and I think it probably is the case. I mean, there's not a whole lot of other directions we could go. We know October is mm-hmm. rolling around right around the corner. We only got one month to get into the you know the the point where everything is going to start to you know in some ways be revealed in, to a degree because a lot of the stories are taking place after Eternal, mm-hmm. but. That being said, I think there's not a whole lot of other directions to go. The solicitation kind of hints at it already. And the fact that, you know, he, he very blatantly says, you know, well, I have a daughter and I wasn't around for her. So I think it's the most likely the obvious. I mean, there's not really a whole lot of options here, but it further cements this, like, this, like, the, 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 the horrible relationship that Carmine Falcone and Selena Kyle has. And what's even more interesting is that if Selena has no idea who her father actually is, and she's just despised Falcone all this time, it's like, it's been like rooted into her from, you know, birth that she has to hate Falcone, even though, you know, obviously all this happened before. So that part of it, I think is really interesting that her father was basically, you know, thrown off his, his, his throne with, by Falcone, and now she's going to basically be taking over now that Penguin is locked up in jail and Falcone is going back to Hong Kong, as we'll see in the next issue. So that part is interesting. I don't really want to talk about anything else because there's a ton to talk about in 21. Mm-hmm. So with that, uh, Batman Eternal number 20, I'm going to give a total of four out of five bad ranks. Three and a half out of five. I, first of all, Dustin, you were right. I was looking up um, to see a synopsis, and those three detectives did go down to the sewer in the Killer Croc special because uh, they were looking for some evidence that would kind of put them away. So you were right about that. I do wonder, where did Jason Todd get that Batman action figure? Was it just, you know, from That's the kids? That's what they were making at the factory. Okay. I wondered if it was, yeah, it was just weird to see him <laughs> uh, fiddling with it. Um, I'm going to give it a 3.5 as well. And over on the website, Corbin gave it three and a half, so that's going to give Batman Eternal number 20 a total of three and a half out of five bad ranks. So we'll move into our next book, Batman Eternal number 21. Batman Eternal number 21, written by James Tinian fourth, art by Jason Fabic. The issue starts off with Jason Barr going to Vicki Vale's apartment, and he's basically, has he has told her that he is in fact now the new commissioner, and she is going to be getting all the exclusives from the GCPD, and she's loving it. Um, as they are talking about this, they find out that uh, Gordon has been found guilty of 123 counts of manslaughter, and he will serve his life sentence in Blackgate Penitentiary. Uh, we then see uh, Falcone and Rex Calabrese talking in 
Blackgate, and we're hearing, we're you know, we're learning a little bit more about the fact that Falcone, you know, talking about the fact that Falcone knew was under the assumption that that Rex was dead all this time, but he's not. He's going to go back to Hong Kong, and he's going to, uh, you know, basically come back and to get everybody that he cares about. Uh, as Falcone, the whole reason behind this is because Falcone is actually leaving prison because his lawyer has gotten him out. He's being extradited to Hong Kong. Um, the warden leads him out and says, oh, wait, someone wants to talk to you. Have a nice flight. Hooks him up. <laughs> and Batman is waiting above in his bat plane. And he is there, or bat wing, and he is there talking. He, he wants to know exactly what Falcone knows. And he says, you lied to me. You knew exactly what was going on. And Falcone says, Shh, I don't have any idea what's going on. I just got this invitation. And the invitation reads, you have been cordially invited to partake in the devastation of Gotham City. Jim Gordon falls in prison two weeks' time. The rest is up to you. So he got this invitation and he wanted to be involved. So that's why he came back to Gotham. Other than that, he knows nothing. Back at GCPD, Harvey Bullock comes in to tell Jason Bard that... Uh, he has, you know, that he has to make his own place. He doesn't need to fill the shoes of Gotham. He needs to make his own shoes. Uh, Batman, as Bullock leaves, Batman pops in and says, uh, you can't fill the shoes of Gordon, so don't even try. I don't trust you. But here's the evidence you need to put, you know, to free Jim Gordon. After what happens with that, we can move on. Uh, he leaves. He says he's leaving right now. Batman leaves as well. Back at Wayne Manor, Julia Pennyworth, working over a hangover, is talking to Alfred and says that uh, she doesn't. She wants to understand. Uh, Alfred explains, "I want, I want you to understand why I gave up all those things years ago and why I have never been able to turn back." When suddenly an alert goes off, and he uses he uses a cufflink to try to talk to the computer to lock down the premises, but it's not working. She pulls out her gun and says, what's going on? He's kind of concerned that she has a gun, uh, lifts up the famous William Shakespeare bust and pushes, pushes finger, push, puts his finger on it to scan. A safe room opens up. He does some sort of, you know, crazy, you know, probably pressure point thing, knocks her out, grabs her gun, locks the room and goes out explaining that he, he was a he turned down sniper positions in six separate branches of the uh, of the military back in Britain uh, he's a great marksman um, but he won't miss um, as he's saying this someone says I've always liked you best Alfred but I'm sorry I'm not here for your family not tonight I'm here for you and he turns around shock across his face uh, the gun goes away, gets punched across or elbowed in the face, and what's this? It's a syringe of fear toxin that this person, who is Hush, Wanana. squirts it straight into his temple. I know that's terrible. Really bad way to get it. Yeah. <laughs> Julia Pennyworth wakes up to the screams of Alfred mm-hmm. and says, "No." Back at Blackie Penitentiary, Carmine Falcone is waiting Bard's uh, arrival. When we see Bart arrive, he gives the warden some papers and says, I've got release papers. Here they are. Everything's done. I've already talked to the district attorney. And the warden says, I don't understand. Uh, this seems insane. Um, but wait, it's there. It's not there. He's not there for Jim Gordon. No, 
He walks straight past Jim Gordon, yeah. and they walk to the cell of Zachary Gate, also known as the Architect. If you didn't know that, that's from way back in Gates of Gotham. Uh, back at Wayne Manor, Julia Pennyworth has gotten out of the. She's gotten out of the the safe room. She tries calling the ambulance. Uh, Alfred says, listen, I need to tell you something. Listen, go to the grandfather clock, 1048. She says she doesn't understand. Um, then we see outside um, of the Black Eight, we see uh, Hush be getting a phone call from Bard, who says, yes, mother, the architect is in place for the next stage of everything to come. And Batman doesn't suspect a thing. He takes the flash drive that Batman gave him, snaps it in half, and says, Gotham belongs to us now. Next up, find out who Gotham really belongs to. All right. Eternal 21. Holy crap. Yeah, Talk you about bet. game-changing issue. Mm-hmm. That's it. This is this is now going to be the definition of game-changing issue, for, for this podcast at least. <laughs> Okay, so <laughs> I'd say so. Yeah. So we've got let's let's just run through just a couple of small quick things. We've got Jason Bard, who we now find is out is is not necessarily working on the side of good. He's working with Hush, and uh, we see that Falcone is going back to Hong Kong. Okay, that's that's over and done with. Bard is now in a romantic relationship with Vicky Vale. Bard is the new commissioner. Gordon is guilty. Uh, Batman has no clue what the heck is going on. Uh, Bullock is fully behind, uh, Bard, even though Bard, you know, now we know is bad. Yep. Julia Pennyworth now knows how to get into the Batcave. Alfred has fear toxin into his head. I mean, holy crap. What could have happened that didn't happen? I couldn't tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, alright, so, okay, so first thing I want to talk about is Hush. Um, I'm almost positive we called this. I might need some refresher here, but I'm almost positive we called this like a while back as far as who the big bad could be. Did we or did we not? We did. That's what I thought. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, Tommy Elliott's the one behind. Now, I do want to, I did see some people say online, oh, we don't know if it's Tommy Elliott or not. It could be somebody completely different behind those bandages. Well, I saw an interview that James Tinian did, and he confirmed the person behind the bandages is Tommy Elliott. This is the Tommy Elliott that we have known from pre-New 52. He's grown up with Bruce. He knows everything about Bruce. It's that same Tommy Elliott from pre-New 52. That's what Tinian said. So that clears that up right away. So mm-hmm. before anybody sits there and says, wait, it's somebody else. No, it's Tommy Elliott. That's also That could explain also why Alfred responded the way he did, because it's not as if this character didn't exist. Alfred knew who it was. So that's that. Um, the fact that Bard is working with Hush, I mean, that, that comes as actually a surprise. I didn't really see Bard being, other than the foreshadowing from Batman saying, I don't trust Bard, I don't trust him. Now Bard is working in cahoots with Hush. We have no idea the direction that this is going, other than everything seems to be working perfectly for Tommy Elliott and Jason Bard. So let's just talk about that before we talk about Alfred and all that other stuff. Let's talk about Bard and and Tommy Elliott. Um, here's a here's a thought, and just a quick thought as we kind of dive into this big subject. You don't guys don't think there's any chance that this is Bard on a double cross, right? That we'll get to the end and we, we he was working against them the entire time as a double agent type deal. 
I don't think that, although when it's funny because as soon as you said that, the first thing I thought in my mind was, huh, is this actually Bard or is this Clayface as Bard? Since we've seen Clayface work oh. in the past, too. Mm-hmm. True, because it, it, I, I think that there's something there like that. The Clayface one is a good idea. Uh, maybe he's undercover, but I, I think that just kind of focusing the conversation on the Bard element for, uh, for a second, I guess, well... Not that there's a lot of empirical evidence. I guess what I'm just saying is I kind of hope that that's what happens. Uh, because this Jason Bard would be straight villain. You know? Um, so I, I guess I'm kind of hoping that that's what goes on with Bard um, there. So I don't know what you guys thought about that. Well, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say, you know, I don't know that he... Uh, it seems like it would be weird for him just to be working Tommy Elliott this entire time. And honestly, the person who comes out ahead of everything is going to be Jason Bard. I don't really see that. Um, I don't also see why Bard would want to keep Gordon in there if he was, you know, you know, playing a double agent or whatever. It, the only thing that seems odd to me is the fact that Bard made the transfer from his previous police department and came to Gotham basically on you know the, by you know from the like a request in in a way at least as the way I portrayed it a, a request from Gordon to come to Gotham, and Bart accepted. So to me, it seems weird that they could have planned that. Now, if I guess if he put in a request himself and Gordon approved it, that would have been fine. But I have a hard time believing that nobody would have been able to figure out that Bard was this bad guy. You know, that Gordon couldn't have seen through anything and just was like, yeah, sure, I'll sign your request order. Sure, you can come on over. And by the way, you're going to be, uh, you know, you're going to be one of the main people on my task force, on my old task force. So I don't think there's that. But the double agent thing, I'm almost feeling like maybe there's a point where something has, something happened. And the bard that we saw in the beginning of the series is not the same bard that we see later in the series. And maybe that's what's going to happen. Or maybe he's been taken over by those nanobots, which we haven't talked about in a good chunk of issues. Yeah, I think that's possible. I mean, we all remember what a big piece of the story Clayface was in Hush. Uh, and with Jason Todd being alive and kicking in the New 52, you really can't go down that road. So that would, would make some sense, I guess. I feel sad and betrayed. <laughs> and unfortunately, it was always in the back of my mind ever since, ever since we saw the beginning, uh, which was really the end, just like the shadowy figure and you could kind of see glasses. I'm like, my goodness, it's, it's not Jason Bard. Tell me it's not Jason Bard. Um, but finally seeing it sort of realized was really, I mean, you, he was so good. You, you kind of wonder, is there something wrong with this scenario? But I just want wanted him to continue being that way and and even in that interaction with batman in the office like i i so got this like superman lex luther in the very beginning flashback where superman knows lex luther is no good and he's saying you know i'm going to keep an eye on you and i just wish that that batman had that intuition and, and I almost feel like there's something wrong that he doesn't think anything is up um, well, he does say the entire time that he doesn't trust him that's every true. time he does something with him he keeps saying the same thing that he doesn't trust him but, so, I mean, yeah. in a way that he is foreshadowing the fact that there could be something wrong yeah. but we're not shown that at all up until this issue but why give the thumb drive if you don't trust I mean that is that is so sacred that is you know okay well I don't honestly to me Batman doesn't have a backup. That's the dumbest, you know. Play I hope Batman's he doesn't. Head. Yeah, I'm sure Batman works in the cloud. 
Come on. Yeah, on the cloud. Oh my goodness. Um, it, yeah, it'll, uh, I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to, to see what happens. I, I would love for it to be a fake out because right now, you know, my heart is hurting that Jason Bard is not the guy I, I like. Um, and, and, you know, uh, very much respect as a character. I do, disagree with Dustin. He said a romantic relationship between Jason and uh, Vicky, and I completely disagree that there's no romance involved. It may be on her side, but I think he's using her, and I think that, like, on his side, that that there's sort of nothing there. I mean, even if you look at that kiss, like, her eyes are closed, she's into it, and he's just, like, kind of standing there and okay, not really... But, okay, maybe, maybe it's not a thing, like, that he's in, but... If you looked at that page before you realized that he was a bad guy, would you have thought the same exact thing? Yes, because I did when I first saw it. I was like, this is his eye. I mean, look, it it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good at all. Those three panels. I mean, I guess his eyes are closed, but it doesn't even seem like he's putting in any effort. And then she kisses his cheek and he just looks evil. I'm like, there's something weird going on. So that's my only problem with like mind control and things. I don't know. It just seems like he may be deep down evil, which really hurts me. And the other question was about Hush. Uh, I'm glad that, yeah, we called Hush. Um, I think it's pretty, I think it's awesome because he's kind of one of those villains, in my opinion, um, that really gets to the heart of, of Bruce Wayne and, and really understands him, I think, more so than, than Joker does and is just able to find ways to really take him down. Um, and it's funny cause I just, I just read, um, what is it? Streets of Gotham, the first volume where, where he comes back and, uh, which I guess was after that hush by Paul Denny, that run. But yeah, it's just, I, I really like that character. I really like him. I, I like reading hush. I, 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 it's one of the stories that I have for my H period seminar class, um, in school. And, and I just think he's an awesome villain. So I, I'm just interested to see what is it like, um, for him. I mean, how is he able to get all these villains together? That's something that really interests me, just how, how they, come together and how does he lead them plus isn't it i mean i've always kind of thought too like like just echoing stella's comments you're like hush is a classic villain if he had been introduced 30 years before he was he would be one of the guys that's in most of the movies type guy i mean he really does feel like he almost is a better adversary for batman on a lot of levels sometimes than, than joker joker's classic i know that i'm not saying i just like joker but i think stella's comments are are, are pretty significant there that if he is the, the big bat here mm-hmm. um then this is Snyder is kind of pulling in a lot of strings here, including the architect. And Snyder likes to play with his own toys over and over again. So, yep. yeah, yeah. The thing, the thing is, you know, I'm, I'm glad, you know, going off of actually what what both of you just said, you know, echoing the same exact thing as far as you know, Hush is a classic villain. My theory is this, you know, honestly, Hush is one of those characters where he. You know, he might only be, you know, he might have only came around, you know, a little over 10 years ago, but mm-hmm. the story was like such a good story mm-hmm. where you look at the character and you say, okay, well, you look at the Joker and you've got a couple of really good stories with the Joker, but most of them are from way after the Joker came to be. Hush came in, you know, with, you know, 
his, his, you know, fist swinging. You know, he was the story of Hush was basically that entire story, and the introduction of the character, and you find out that he basically like manipulates all these different things and plans out this massive plan. And almost when you look at when you compare what's happened in Eternal so far to what's happened in the original Batman Hush story, it's almost like oh my god, it's the exact same thing. He is like. He's worked all these different people against each other to accomplish his goals, and it, like that's what that's what I like about Tommy Elliot is the fact that it's almost like he's a classic villain, but he's he hasn't been around. So, like you said, Ed, where you know if he was around thirty years ago, he would be appearing in all the movies. I think that's entirely true, and I think that in, in some cases, this is actually a more like modern day classic villain for Batman. It's more modernized. You look, there's there's villains like the Joker and the Riddler and Two-Face and you look at these characters and they have been around for years and years and years and uh, eventually somebody comes along and they retell their origin or if it's the New 52 they retell their origin every year or you know they, they t- yeah. want to tell a new story about this character or if it's the Penguin they want to use the character for in almost every single bat book through the the first year of the New 52 they use these characters but eventually something happens where they're like okay this is like the story for this character you know that's what they were you know promoting death of the family with with the Joker this is the Joker story for the New 52 and Hush, this is going to be Hush's story. I mean, if he turns out to be, if he doesn't turn out to be behind the person, you know, in front of somebody else, and there's not somebody else behind everything, and Hush himself is being manipulated, which to me would come up, honestly, if they did that, I'd be kind of pissed about that, because it would kind of diminish any idea of who Hush is. Um, but Hush is a character, I think is a great character. Mm-hmm. This Everything we've seen up until this point, if it's been planned out as Hush has been planning it, I mean, this is a really, really good way of, like, really getting to Batman and to take out and to take control of Gotham. And I think it's being done really, really well. Um, Honestly, if it was revealed as somebody else was behind it, I don't know that I would have been as enthralled with it. Hush is a character that I really enjoy. And I think that there's so many comparisons between Tommy Elliott and Bruce Wayne, you know, that there, it's like, it's like everybody, you look at the villains and you look and say, okay, Riddler challenges Batman's intelligence side. Joker challenges his mental side or his, you know, psychological side mm-hmm. or something like that. Or, and then you've got Two-Face, which is the duality of, you know, what Batman could be if, you know, he wasn't who he is. But Tommy Elliott is literally like a mere image, but evil. Yeah. That's why I like Tommy Elliot. Mm-hmm. I, the other thing too, you talk about if, if it was revealed that, that uh, Hush or Elliot is not um, not the big bad, I wouldn't be upset about it until the very last issue of Batman Eternal because I would be convinced the entire time that he was really had the upper. You know, you, yeah, you, you, I would like, agree. Like I wouldn't be mad to the end because the whole time I'd be reading, I'd be, like, I'd be like, yeah, sure, he's answering to the Penguin. My ass is, you know, I'm like, you know, I mean, that just I wouldn't. I, I would think to the very last page that he was gonna get the upper hand all right so the other thing i wanted to talk about um outside of the big reveal there at this point it seems like a minor thing but i'm sure it's not going to be a minor thing going forward julia pennyworth now knows how to get into the bat cave mm. alfred has had fear toxin injected into his head now if you go back to that uh, bat thanksgiving teaser that was released way back last november alfred was in a straitjacket oh, we shoot. know why yeah 
So the fact that, uh, and then also, it also seems as if now that Alfred is, you know, incapacitated for at least the, the foreseeable future, um, that character standing in front of the Bat computer in Batman number 28 is most likely Julia Pennyworth at this point. She basically takes on the role that her father was doing for Batman. So kind of clearing up some of the things. I mean, obviously, it's nothing's official until it actually happens, but I think at this point we can call that Julia Pennyworth, the one at the back computer, um, I think that's that's pretty easy given at this point, especially since Snyder has said that Julia Pennyworth will be in Batman number twenty mm-hmm. or n- number thirty five, so um, which is taking place after Eternal. So I think it's interesting. Um, I mean, holy crap, Tommy Elliott taking out Alfred uh, with fear toxin to the head. I mean, like seriously, holy crap. Yeah. Um, Outside of that, uh, I mean, I, at this point, I think this is a much better reason to show her. I don't know. It, it feels like this, like the Alfred getting to the point of telling uh, Julia about what he has been doing all of these years, and he's not just a butler. I feel like he's getting to it. He's getting to it. We saw it in like a couple issues ago where she was like egging him on and saying, "Ah, you're just a manservant. You're nobody." Blah blah blah. Yeah. Then she went and got drunk, and I guess that's what he needed her to get drunk so that he could Deal get her back from being, you know. <laughs> you know. So um, he seems to be working up to it again, up until the point where this the, the alarm goes off. So to me, it just feels like they're getting. He's getting to the point of sh- of telling her and possibly showing her, but then it, something keeps happening. Like she leaves the last time. Now the mm-hmm. alarm goes off, but now he's got no choice and he tells her exactly how to get in. So to me, it comes across as, you know, was it, would he have told her anyway? Yes, I believe. Yes, she mm-hmm. would, he would have. But because honestly, I feel like he was just getting tired of her going on and on about how he's, he's a nobody. So is I frankly, um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, what do you think of Alfred possibly being out of the picture for the foreseeable future now that he has been dosed with a uh, with fear toxin? My only concern about this is this is a comment I made kind of cryptically a little while ago is that and I love Scott Snyder as a writer, but he does like to play with his toys, mm-hmm. you know. And us having a big Batman story where Alfred gets nipped out of it for the majority of the story is something we just did in Death of the Family. So I would hope that that isn't that, that we just have get uh, an Alfred fear toxin diluted deal. One that Julia may have to get a bat suit or something to subdue him for out of the bat cave. Something along those lines. I hope it's not a prolonged absence because that would seem awfully similar to Death of the Family. I don't like it, um, and primarily just I, I don't like that this is the way that Julia is going to find out about everything. I, I feel like it, it's just such a cop out that he was finally going to get to it after issues and issues of her, my gosh, berating him about him being a failure, and you know he's got to get knocked out before something happens. I, I feel like it's just. I don't like it um, as an artistic move. I feel like there could have been a stronger way to do it. Um, but there's no substitute for Alfred Pennyworth. Let's just be honest. And even if the next one has the name of a Pennyworth, um, it's going to be a poor substitute. I don't know. I mean, what's it going to be without him? I mean, think about that. That's 
you're putting Batman in a very vulnerable position. And maybe that's what, you know, Eternal is all about is just really stripping down Batman and who he is and getting these new characters in and seeing how he can interact with this new auxiliary force because we probably have Harper Rowe. Who knows who Lark is? That could be Harper's brother. Could be somebody else. And then you've got Julia Pennyworth. So it's really, I mean, this is all about like turning everything we know and love about Batman on its head and almost out with the old and with the new. And, and can Batman survive like this? So I feel like it's not only testing Batman, um, but it's testing readers as well and, and seeing, will we accept this? Um, it's super, I mean, I, I don't like it, but that's just because I really like Alfred. Um, and, and he's very much like, I don't know if you guys watch The Walking Dead, but just to me, he's very much the Herschel to Rick um, because Rick obviously is the leader and, and he has some some issues you know, and, and he's a good leader sometimes and other times he sort of stands back because he's he's going through things. But Herschel is always there to really be that emotional center and, and almost uh his conscious, his Jiminy Cricket. And without Alfred, I am fearful for what Batman will do because Julia doesn't have that sort of relationship with Batman to sort of keep him from the edge. And I, I just also don't want Alfred's character to be damaged because I just had to look at that teaser again to, to see and remind myself. And it would just be horrifying to see Alfred in a straitjacket in um, Arkham Asylum and just be in there for months at a time. I mean, you know how long Snyder's stories are. So just imagine him being there out of the picture for like, a big story of his that would just be it would be so traumatic for me as a reader so i'm hopeful not but if the plan for eternal is to turn everything around i guess that's what they're gonna do well you know you may have just hit on something there too which is the fact you don't want to see him locked up in arkham asylum but yeah since wayne manor is going to become the nexus saint asylum here in oh i don't know two months true he'll be close to home Maybe that's why Bruce decides to let him turn it into a, a nut house. So he's yeah. got a place to make Alfred feel home. Wouldn't that be a twist? And it also, I just had a, sense. oh gosh, I, I had a thought. I don't know if you guys are watching, but where the Batman now that's on at like three in the morning. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> you, We're the only two. Oh, I feel bad for that show. Um, I was just thinking about Jason and how Cypher, like, because he was using him and then that weird like electricity thing happened so that cipher was still sort of a part of him what would you think if if this really just really changed alfred and and really messed with him that he almost became a villain to batman i mean do you think that's ever would they ever go down that path because in a way that is worse than taking him out of the picture but to actually like really mess him up so badly that he just is a, a completely different character do, do you think they would ever do that well, here's the thing. I just want to, anybody who's listening to the comic cast who has been a Batman fan and been reading stuff from way, way back in the time, still is not implying that Alfred is going to become out, the outsider version 2.0. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That being said, yeah. um, you know, I think it, I think it is entirely possible. I don't think Alfred would become a villain. I think ultimately what would happen is Batman would just be, he would, you know, I hate to say this, but I, he'd lock him up. And yeah. given the fact that Arkham is coming to Wayne Manor, it makes perfect sense that maybe this is this is actually kind of the link. You know, he's he's absolutely gone nuts, 
and Batman wants Alfred to get the best treatment available, and unfortunately, the best treatment available is bringing Arkham to Wayne Manor. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a little crazy when you think about it, but no- nonetheless, um, I think it's interesting. Um, I don't think he'll become a villain. I think if he does get healed, I think he will have a lasting effect, and I think that would actually be something that I'd like to see carried on. You know, if he if he somehow is able to, you know, get better, you know, it doesn't, you know, the the effects run out or, or you know whatever. Although that was a lot of fear toxin, that wasn't yeah. like an aerosol spray like, like right you in normally his brain, see, basically. Yeah. So I mean, like it's going to probably be a while before he's okay. But that being said, I feel like Alfred will probably if he if he had some lasting effect. That, you know, he had, you know, he, you know, basically had to resort to becoming just the butler because he couldn't deal with seeing the villains and things like that. You know, you know, I would assume that Alfred's biggest fear would be Bruce dying. That's what I would assume. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't be for sure there, but that's what I would assume. You know, Alfred has been helping him all this time and then it's Bruce who actually ends up dying before Alfred. You know, we've seen kind of, uh, you know, one-shot stories about Alfred, you know, dealing with, you know, having flashbacks and ideas of what could have happened if he led Bruce a different direction. So I think if Bruce died, that would be his ultimate fear. So I think that it could be interesting. I just wanted to see something carry on. Um, a lot of times, some of the stuff we've seen carry on, like from Snyder, with you know the entire Bat family being pissed off at each other and not really wanting to work with Bruce, that's not an effect I wanted to see. So I mean, like this minor little thing, I think it would be fine. I don't. Here's my only thing with it. I don't disagree with anything you guys are saying, but I think that if Snyder was going to kill, maim, or permanently disfigure Alfred, he would have done it in Death of the Family because that was that was the whole setup of the story, right? I mean, remember we had months of is Alfred alive, and when one point we thought for what a couple of months that he had his eyes burned out. You know, oh gosh. so I think if, if if he was gonna do it, he would have done it then. Not that any of the ideas are wrong, or, or that I would dislike them, but I just think if he was gonna do it, that's when he would have done it. And remember, after Death of the Family, when people asked him, like, you know, we thought you were gonna kill Alfred, he's like, No, I wasn't gonna kill Alfred. You think I'm in the saddest? You know. So I just, mm-hmm. I think that viewing it in that vein, I don't think he will. I think this will probably all be wrapped up by the end of Eternal, which is still, you know, six seven months away. But I think it'll be wrapped mm-hmm. up. By I think it's also interesting that of all the plays and, and, you know, he was listing, Alfred was listing basically his resume and then he says King Lear. And in King Lear, the, the main character sort of descends into madness. Um, so I wonder if that was intentional by Snyder and Tynan. That sounds like a couple English majors like they are writing comics. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so Batman Eternal number 21, I'm giving four and a half out of five batterings. Game changer, mm-hmm. you have met your new <laughs> your, your new status quo. Uh, I'm going to give it four and a half, too. I mean, I can't give it a five because, I mean, I, 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 four and a half out of five. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know what's weird about this is I feel like there are some game changing issues that we've read that have been so like all of that stuff. We would almost like complain about it because so much is happening. And I feel like a lot happens here, but it flows so well from one thing to the next. And, and really things are tied together in such a way that it doesn't seem overwhelming. And it, it's great to read an issue that just page after page, you're sort of shocked at what's going on. Shocked and horrified. 
Um, so I'm going to agree and give it a 4.5 out of 5. All right. And over on the website, Corbin also gave it 4.5. So that's going to give Batman Eternal number 21 a total of 4.5 out of 5 betterings. Now, just a quick little discussion. I, I noticed that I saw some articles posting up some of the stuff after the reveal that Tommy Elliott is is the big bad, at least at this point. Um I saw some articles that were popping up online about talking about the stuff that's happening as of October. Now, obviously, we've got some time before October. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned in the last episode, uh, in the month of September, we're going to be talking specifically or we're going to be reviewing specifically just Eternal. But we'll also be doing small you know, talks about some of the futures and issues as well. But specifically, October is pretty much, there's a lot of different things changing. As we know, Batman Endgame is picking up after the events of Eternal. Now, one of the things that I happen to see online that I didn't notice before is that supposedly DC has stated that Batman Eternal will be on hiatus in March of 2015. What? But it will be after the current story concludes. So basically... I, I don't understand it either. It basically means that, like, March, it's going on hiatus. It's coming back in April for the final, you know, four or five issues, and then it's over. So a lot of people have been putting together that, you know, Endgame is happening. A lot of a lot of the other things happening in some of the New Direction books or some of the new series that are coming to the Batman universe are a direct relate are all directly happening after the events of eternal. Uh, Batgirl is happening after mm-hmm. the events of eternal. She has a fire. She moves to Burnside. Yep. She is, this is happening after eternal Catwoman is the new Kingpin of Gotham. This is happening after eternal. Mm-hmm. Um, the new series, um, Gotham by midnight, uh, Gotham Academy and, Oh, Arkham Manor are all happening after the events of Eternal. So I didn't, I guess, fully comprehend that all of those titles were actually occurring. I mean, I, I kind of figured Batgirl. I knew, obviously, Batman. But I, and Catwoman, I didn't actually, I honestly thought Catwoman was going to be taking place in the middle of Eternal. But to know that all of those series are actually taking place after Eternal, mm-hmm. I find kind of interesting. The other thing that is, is slightly odd is that Batman Endgame was a, was it was told to us by Scott Snyder that it is six issues. It starts in October. So if you do the math, that means Batman Endgame should end in March, which Snyder said the whole idea was he was trying to tell a story before the DC offices moved to Burbank next year. I don't know how that has anything that why that has anything Rebel to do that. with yeah. I don't understand that, but he made a point to say that he was trying to tell a shorter story that it would wrap up before the DC offices moved. Okay? Fine. So, if it was supposed to end in March, being that it's six issues, and Eternal is on hiatus, are we going to see the end of Batman Endgame before the end of Eternal? That seems weird to me. So I'm wondering if something else is happening next March that is actually the cause for a lot of this stuff, or, you know, the, the cause for Eternal to go on hiatus and the cause for possibly Batman Endgame, the last issue to possibly release in, in April as well. I'm wondering if something else is happening in March. Outside of that, because it's not really anything that we can really, obviously, you know, we, we can sit here and think about what could happen, but we don't really have any evidence that anything actually is happening other than DC is saying that Eternal is on hiatus in March. 
but there's a lot of other things that that I find kind of interesting about the direction that of the books. I have to wonder to myself if after the events of Eternal, with all these new series that are starting basically six months before Eternal is actually going to finalize its last couple issues, I have to wonder if the reason behind that is because Eternal, I don't know, Snyder has said that Julia Pennyworth is in his issue of twenty uh, of Batman number thirty five. Um, he has said that Bluebird is in issue number thirty five. So we we can kind of see some of this stuff coming together. We talked about that promo image with Batman possibly not having a hand mm-hmm. with Bluebird and this other person, which we which we 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 assume is Lark. Um, there's a lot of things that I find interesting. And kind of plays into the fact that Tommy Elliott probably is the big bad. Because if we're going to get a lot of the stories happening after the events of Eternal starting in October, how can they really have some sort of grand, crazy ending that, oh wait, it's not actually this person, it's actually the Joker! He's behind it all! At the end of Eternal, if Endgame is going to pick up right after Eternal, I mean, you see some sort of effects after that. Now, I'm not saying that Eternal couldn't end and you couldn't see some hints at, at, at Joker because that's entirely possible and could hint to the story that Snyder has been talking about coming back to with the Joker for a while. But I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on, you know, kind of like the weird timeline of all of these series taking, like, publishing before the end of this story. I think that, listen, I mean, it's tough to say anything because on paper it doesn't look like it'll work out, right? Anytime you have something published after something before it's been published, which didn't even make a lot of sense, I just said it. But, you know, you have a real worry about continuity. The other thing is, how can the story possibly be interesting if you keep me spoiler-free for the story that I haven't finished reading yet, you know? Exactly. So, I mean, like, there's a, there's a ton of problems here. My only thought is that they've, they've thought it out really, really well um, because on the face of it, again, we may get done with it and be like, wow, that was cool. It worked really well, right? But on the face of it, it does seem like having this in-game story arc. In the, I mean, think about it. We're gonna, even the names are funny. We're going to have Batman in-game, the in-game to Batman Eternal in the middle of Batman Eternal actually going on. Yeah. So I don't... This, this to me is either going to, there's only one or two options in my opinion. We're going to look at back to this eight months ago, wow, they thought this out incredibly well. Or we're going to go, eh, they probably shouldn't have done this. And I, I don't know, as a reader who, I mean, I'm not an, as intense a reader, I think, as Dustin is, who has his crazy conspiracy wall, I just know it, in his right. office with strings all over the place. <laughs> but I still notice when timelines and continuities don't flow from one book to the other. And for some of these books to be starting in October that are appearing after Eternal, um, whether they mention Eternal or not, as a reader, I- I'm going to be somewhat conflicted and and perhaps confused as you know just thinking well how does this relate you know going back to everything so to have the timelines not necessarily match up is going to be a bit of an issue for me um with the end game yeah i remember seeing something i don't know if it was on snyder's twitter or if it was on mark doyle's but somebody said you know that no one no one is ready for end game 
no one has any clue what is about to happen. Like this is going to be something that's very huge. And I, I think it is, it's a weird time placement to have it, you know, before the ending of eternal. I don't really understand this hiatus in March. I feel like that's super weird unless there's something going on in March. That's going to be like September month, um, that we have with all the futures end or last year it was with the, um, Villains Month. I, I just don't. I mean, why not finish Eternal and, and finish strong and not have this weird hiatus? Um, I mean, I can only assume that Scott Snyder knows what he's doing and the bad offices know what they're doing. But right now, it just sounds really weird. And again, I, I, I'm totally <laughs> agree with you. I just my only thought, and we've seen this happen, good and bad, in comics. Is I just really hope someone's thought this through. And it wasn't like, well, it all at once. <laughs> you know, I mean, I would like to hope that somebody thought this through. All right. So with that, I'm not going to, I'm not going to talk about that anymore. I mean, we'll find out what's happening in March and well, a couple more months, but I'm sure it'll, it'll probably be announced at some point. Basically, um, Ed pointed me to a direction of an article that was from way back in June. Yeah. Um, basically saying that DC is doing something in the month of March to possibly, you know, to, to assist them in being able to move to the other coast during the month without having to worry about, you know, getting the normal books out. So, uh, it's something that's going to be done way in advance. And other than that, we don't know anything. The only problem so, with that, and I just want to speak a pure contrast thought is if we do have another quote unquote skip month, right? With the skip month for the future's end, that means our regular monthly titles we've only got 10 releases out of a 12-month period, which kind of yep. sucks. Yeah. I would agree. That really does suck. Um, and, the, and the other thing that is uh, – I don't want to get started on that because then I'll start ranting about the <laughs> fact of how, how do you determine what an annual is if you're not actually producing one annual every 12 issues, but whatever. All right. As far as other books reviewed over on the website, Corbin reviewed all of these. He has he given he Batwoman number 34, three out of five – Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 34, 3 out of 5. Teen Titans, number 2, 2.5. Catwoman, number 34, 2.5. Harley Quinn, number 10, 3. Batman, Superman, number 13, 3.5. And Batman 66 meets the Green Hornet, number 8, 3 out of 5. So check out all those other reviews over on the website. In addition to that, be sure to check out all of the news and reviews on the website. There are also, uh, over the past couple weeks, we've added some merchandise reviews from Mr. Rob Myers from uh, Rob's Rogues. Also, he produces the Everybody Loves the Drake, the Tim Drake podcast, uh, the Robin one that's over on the website. He produces that, but he also does a lot of merchandise reviews. We've added those to the site. Uh, we also have reviews of Beware the Batman, since Beware the Batman is continuing to air up until they run out of episodes Ooh. on Toonami. Um, in addition to that, be sure to check out all of the other news and all of the other podcasts, including the Batman Universe podcast, which has a fresh new team. If you didn't find that out already, they have a fresh new team and uh, bringing you weekly news. Every Monday morning, you can find the newest episode of the Batman Universe podcast also be sure to check out all the other podcasts and kind of catch on to some of the the release schedules um there tends to be a podcast almost every single day of the weekday um released on the uh, on the website um comic cast is still coming at you on fridays 
the Batman podcast, the Batman Universe podcast is coming out on Mondays. Um, just be sure to check out the website every day and then you'll never miss anything. I'll just leave it at that. In addition to that, be sure to check out everything else we have to offer on the website. Leave us reviews in iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and join our Facebook group to chat with other Bat fans. And in addition to that, we are still looking for news reporters. So if you are interested, find the I Want You for the Batman Universe picture on the mm-hmm. front page. Click on it, or you can uh, click on the Contact Us at the bottom of the page, either one of them. And it will tell you exactly what to do if you are interested in working with the Batman Universe. That is everything. I don't think I could say any more. This is Dustin. Uh, And this is Stella. And you've been listening to the Batman Universe comic podcast. We'll see you guys in two weeks.